Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Well, as always, my job is to speak and yours is to weigh what is said. The Bible says that. So do I get it right? Will I be right? Well, you decide for yourself, because ultimately, when you hear the word of God, it's up to you to answer to your conscience to what you do. Sometimes people say things that aren't true. Well, we have been studying the Psalms. And in the Maori Bible, in the Maori word, what's, what's the Maori word for Psalms? Do you know? Waiata. Okay. I, it's interesting. I, I, thought it, I always thought it was waiata as well. And when I actually looked it up, it says it was ngahimene. All right? Interesting, because I would have said waiata, and uh, my dictionaries told me I was wrong, ngahimene. So waiata or himene. What does waiata mean if you translate it into English? Songs. What does himene mean, obviously? Hymns, right? Songs, hymns. So psalms. Uh, songs, they're hymns. They're, maybe they're special hymns because Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He said, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to each other in psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There we go. I know we both almost knew it, didn't we? So that's what it says. So Paul seemed to think there was, you know, there were psalms and there were hymns and there were spiritual songs. So I didn't look to see how that was translated into Māori, but it must have been tricky. <laughs> so do, do we? Paul seemed to think there was a sort of a bit of a difference, didn't he? Do we think that? I mean, did we sing any spiritual songs today? We did, eh? Did we sing any hymns? Yeah, did we sing any psalms? No, we didn't. So we seem to know there's something special, a bit different. Now, I, I put it to you that 40 years ago around here, they probably sang psalms more than we do, and maybe that was a good thing. Why do we sing at all? Why is, why is music important? Sometimes I believe music kind of bypasses our mind and the filters that we put in there, and it speaks straight to our soul or to our spirit. That's why we might say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's a song. Bless the Lord, O my soul, where we're talking to our soul. I'm not quite sure which bit of me is talking to my soul. What is it? My mind. But we don't sing, Tell my soul to bless my Lord, O my mind. Because somehow it goes past the mind, doesn't it? Uh, J.S. Bach, the musical, my musical hero, and what's that? Johann Sebastian Bach, he said this. And you've often probably heard me say it. He said, whoops, the aim and final end of all music should be none other than the glory of God and the refreshment of the soul. That's what he said was the function of music. Isn't that great? I love that. He's been, perhaps, he's been called the greatest Christian musician ever. But not everyone agrees with J.S. Bach. People use power of music for all other things, don't they? They use it for advertising. Kiwi kids. All right, now, did I get a shock when I went to Australia on here? Aussie kids, are we? Beca- hey, what? Hey, we've been had. All right, so, so we, use advertise- we use the power of music for advertising to get us into doing things because music gets into us, doesn't it? It gets into us. Some years ago, there was a beautiful song on the radio, and it went like this. All I want to do is make love to you. It was a beautiful song. Do you remember it? Teresa does, yeah, I do. Don't sing it, all right? I'm not going to sing anymore. One day, I, I, it was this lovely song. I used to go around in my hair to hear it on the radio. And one day, I actually listened to it. It's a song of gross immorality. It was about a woman who cruised around in her car, picking up men and taking them to a motel. 
and you can imagine the rest. But that's what it was about. And I realized that this beautiful song was seductive. It was putting ideas kind of past my mind into something deeper. Do you get that? As a teenager, I stopped listening to the radio because so many of the songs tried to tell me that one day I'd meet a lovely girl and everything would be all right, which is actually not right. Okay, that's not how we're meant to be. I did meet a lovely girl, but that is, wasn't the solution to all my problems, all right? People, people think, you know, I'll never be lonely anymore. So you, you meet this girl and suddenly everything's all right. No. So music can sow ideas in us that are wrong, even in church. I mean, I, I sat there twice and watched up on that screen the little drummer boy. Now, the little drummer boy is drivel, but when pentatonics sing it, it's the most beautiful thing. And it just melts my heart. And I could almost believe it's true. It's rubbish. But it's the most beautiful rendition of the most ridiculous song, you see. It gets past our filter. Because if, if you just said, come, they told me, pa up a pum pum you go, oh, what are you on, you idiot? You know, but you sing it. Oh, it's lovely. All right? Now, now by the way, Snoopy's Christmas isn't true either. Sorry. Since I'm, <laughs> since I'm bursting bubbles here today. Now, the power of music has been used by all sorts of people. Hitler wanted to take over Europe. And so you'd think he'd have lots of guns, and he did. But he also had bands, you see, because he knew that music was a powerful piece of the, of, of the recipe. So while we were singing, Onward, Christian soldiers, he and his lot were singing Deutschland, Deutschland, Uber alles, uh, Uber alles in der Welt, which means Germany, Germany, over all, over everything in the world. You see, the song drove them on. They don't sing that anymore. But that's what they, they only sing verse 3 now, which is quite nice. Now, meanwhile, in the Allies, they were paying this woman to go around. Who's that? Vera Lynn. They were paying Vera Lynn to go around and sing to the troops. We'll meet again. Don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. There'll be fun and laughter and joy ever after. Tomorrow when the world is free, little Johnny will sleep in his own little bed again. She's singing songs with a message, and the message was, whatever it's like now, the war will be over. We will come home. The boys will come back. And they were so, that was so important that they put her in jeeps and they took her around singing to the troops. The power of music. And, of course, Hitler himself was largely inspired by the music of Wagner. The music of Wagner was all about uh, German pagan gods and superheroes of the old times, the super race. So music is powerful and it has an effect on us all. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says this, And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. See? Saul had this evil spirit. He's, he's kind of mad. And instead of getting him counseling, they get David to play the harp to him. And when he did that, this evil spirit just calmed down and Saul felt all right. I, we heard the story, Murray and me, of a woman who was having real trouble with spiritual oppression in her life, she, and she knew it. And if that's you, come and see us, get some help. There are things we can do and we want to do to help you. But the way she chose to address this was to fill her house with worshipful music of praise like Ivy was telling us about a couple of weeks ago. And she did that all day, played worship music in her house, and then another day. And on the third day, she heard a small voice, but very clear, right in the middle of her head. And the small voice said, that's it, we're leaving. 
and his spiritual oppression was broken. Do you see that? The power in the music. In fact, I had another quote there, which I, ne- I only found this yesterday. I didn't know it before. You've never heard me say that before. Where there is devotional music, God is always at hand with his gracious presence. That's what motivated J.S. Bach to write and work so hard to write beautiful Christian music. And that's why it's good to read Ngahimene, Ngawayata, the Psalms. That's why it's good to study the Psalms. That's why it's good to memorize the Psalms. That's why it's good to meditate on the Psalms. That's why it's good to sing the Psalms. And if it's gone out of fashion, try and think of a way that we could get it back into fashion to sing the Psalms, which after all, that's what they're for. Because as we do it, uh, as we do it, our spirit and our thoughts begin to change to be more like God's thoughts. So let's do it. Toru fa. Today we're going to have two psalms. <laughs> All right, two psalms today, two different writers, a very important worrying question that I know you have asked, and a comforting and powerful answer from the other psalm writer. As you listen to this scripture, see if you can work out what was the temptation that Asaph faced. I'm going to read you Psalm 73 from the New Living Translation, verse 1 to 13. And Asaph says that he was tempted to do wrong. See if you can figure it out. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They, wickedness used to mean bad, right, teenagers? They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. That's stirring stuff, isn't it? Did Asaph speak to your emotions? What was the temptation? that Asaph said he faced. Did you get it? He was tempted to do something wrong, so serious that he said it was almost like slipping away altogether. What was it? He was tempted to envy evil people. See, because the problem is that bad people seem to do well. They seem to do well. Now, we've talked a bit about Hitler today, but I'm going to put a couple of other people up here a bit closer to home. This man in the middle there is Hongi Hika. All right, he went to England. He had this picture painted in England with Thomas Kendall on, on the right of him, the missionary. But in many ways, Hongi Hika was a man who wished his people to advance. He, wanted, uh, he, want, he encouraged Parkers to come and settle. He developed modern agriculture for his people. He welcomed the missionaries. In fact, he urged the missionaries to come and live right next to his pa, which they did. But 
when I was in the building, that's you recognise that, that's Kerikeri Basin, and, and in the distance there is what we call Kemp House, is the white one, and the stone store. I was up the top of the stone store reading an account by one of those missionaries as they looked across that water there to the spot where this photo was taken on. It's taken from as Hongi Hika came back from one of his war parties. What they said was there were cries of misery as the newly captured slaves from the war had to drag up the hill the big baskets of human flesh, which were destined to be lunch for the warriors that day. In those baskets were the chopped up remains of their own families. And as these miserable cries from these miserable people rang out across the basin, suddenly an older woman from the par thought of some grievance from the past and began lashing out and actually killing the slaves right in front of the missionary who was watching. That was a memory that stuck with the missionary and stuck with me. Now, if you had been one of the people who lived in that area, terrorized by Hongiheka, or for that matter, Taraupraha, Wurumukingi, if you'd been one of the people in that area knowing that your life was on the line, that this man could come with all of his guns, because the thing that Hongihika liked best was guns. He could come and wipe you out anytime he wanted, living in terror. You might have said, like Asaph, why can this man do this? Where is God? Isn't God watching? How can this evil man prosper? He was so powerful that his power didn't even need to be fortified. There were no fences or defenses on it. It was just a hill, because no one was going to mess with Hongihika. Just across the water are the missionaries preaching the gospel, and he's going on like that. You see, sometimes bad people do well. The story has a wonderful ending, but I'm not going to share it today. This man here, you prob who is it? He's part of your family, Edward Gibbon Wakefield. My goodness gracious me, then listen and see if you agree. Many of you will know that after the Treaty of Waitangi was signed things went wrong. What you might not know, that Edward Gibbon Wakefield was very anti the Treaty of Waitangi being signed at all because his desire was to set up in New Zealand a society with lots of little farms and settlers and so on and to get very rich in the process. He advertised in England, come to New Zealand and have a lovely farm and I'll sell it to you and he took everybody's money, got them in ships on the water and then he had to find the farms while while the ships were sailing here, quite literally. So he chased around trying to buy land wherever he could, and his business dealings were not that great. So Edward Gibbon Wakefield, you know that many people got quite greedy after the treaty was signed, and they broke the treaty, and uh, right up there was Edward Gibbon Wakefield. If you had been a Maori shafted and not paid properly for your land, you'd be pretty mad with Edward Gibbon Wakefield. And if you were an English person who came to New Zealand having paid your life savings to settle in the new land and you found that the farm you bought was just a piece of swamp, no good for anything, you'd be pretty mad with Edward Gibbon Wakefield too, wouldn't you? And yet, Edward Gibbon Wakefield went on eventually, after many years, moved to New Zealand. He was rich and he even got elected into Parliament. How could he do so well, Asaph might ask? Well, that was him. Actually, this, this is an old engraving I found, and the words there, probably too small for you to see, are Edward Given Wakefield, founder of New Zealand. You can go around New Zealand, you can find Wakefield Street, Wakefield Park. How could he do so well? Does this kind of thinking ever hit our life? Yep, it does. 
Imagine this. Here's a couple for years have been aching to have a baby, and they can't. This is a very big problem in our society. And they look around them and say, those people there have got kids and they don't even look after them. Some of these gangsters in prison have got 40 children and they don't look after any of them. Three years, we've been praying and longing for a baby, and in that three years, 40,000 little New Zealand babies have been killed in their mother's womb. Won't one person give us their baby? They ache and ache. They say, it shouldn't be like this. Why do the doctors who killed the babies get so rich? Terry and Gail saved for a house. They saved all their money. They sold their car and got the money. And they gave all the money to a builder who went bankrupt and they lost the lot. And they went round to see where he lived. And he lived in this beautiful home with lovely cars and everything else, all in his wife's name. And they found out he'd done it three times. How can that man prosper? The lady next door is 55. She's got arthritis, but she's mowing the lawn while her son's playing PlayStation. See, we look at things. Now remember... Asaph didn't say it was wrong to see that things were wrong. The sin is when we begin to envy the wicked. That's the sin. In fact, our job as Christians is to see when things are wrong. My son's whole life has been ruined by drugs, but the man who sells the drugs is rich and healthy and driving a gold-plated Harley-Davidson. All right? Yes, Asaph, you understand that, don't you? New Zealand's desperately short of workers. Crops are being wasted, but we're paying thousands of dollars uh, to thousands of fit young people to do nothing at all. Yeah, that's not right. Okay? Now, the, in the last couple of weeks, I've had two men my age crying. And the first one was because his wife died. And she was a nice lady, and she was she, everybody loved her. Why did she die and leave him on his own? And the other man was crying about the injustices in the world that are happening to children. He was just crying. If God is loving Jeremy, why does he let this happen? And he began to cry. Where's God? Now, Asaph teaches us it's okay to think about it and it's okay to talk about it. The sin he was tempted with wasn't thinking about these things. It was being tempted to envy. Why should I bother telling the truth? The guy next door cheats on his tax and he gets away with it. Everyone else does it. Why shouldn't I? That's the sin, see? We mustn't be like that. Thanks, Asaph. I do not know how old Asaph was when he wrote the psalm. But I do know that when David wrote the psalm, which I'm going to tell you is the answer to Asaph, he was an old, older man. He said he was old, actually, in the psalm. He had been through all this stuff. David had been through everything. He was a godly young man. He loved the Lord, and he was loyal to the king. He killed Goliath and saved Israel's army, didn't he? And then when the king went, kind of nutted off and went mad, David would play the harp and calm him down. David was great. He was a really loyal servant of the king. But King Saul was trying to kill him, and he's trying and trying and trying with his whole army. So David, this godly man, is living in caves and hiding here and there and scrounging what he can and crying out to God, Why is it? I'm the one who loves you. Why is my life always in danger? On occasion, he even asked Saul, Saul, why are you trying to kill me? I'm always loyal to you. You know it. David was treated so badly. But as David got older, he learned something. Bad people might be on top now, but it won't last forever. And by the time he wrote Psalm 37, Saul was gone, David is the king, and he's wealthy, he's safe, and he looks back at what he's learned And he writes Psalm 
37. This is David's answer to Asaph and to us when we wonder why God lets bad people do so well. And now, so I don't interrupt the psalm, I'm going to explain verse 4 before I start reading it to you. In verse 4, it says this, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. That does not mean that God will give you everything on your wish list. It means something different. What does he promise to give you? The desires. Have you ever had a desire in your heart and thought, where did that come from? I would love to help young mums who are struggling with their children. Where does that come from? It comes from God. He gave you the desire, not the goodies, the desire, see? I'd love to do something to help fathers who are struggling with violence. They would love to love their families, but they don't know how. That desire came from God. Got it? When you want to do so, I'd love to help people in debt. That's me. All right, that came from God. So God promises to give you your heart's desires. Now, if we went around the room, I'm not going to do it, but we asked Everybody, what's your desire? What would you really love to do? We'd hear all sorts of wonderful things, and you'd know that put together, those wonderful things are showing us a lot about the heart of God because most people in this room love the Lord, and your desires will have come from him. David didn't really understand something important that we understand. So see if you can work out what it is as we read Psalm 37. I'll stand to the side so I remember to change the slides at the right time. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper, Asaph. It only leads to oh, I put that in. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the godly. They snarl at them in defiance, but the Lord just laughs. For he sees their day of judgment coming. The wicked draw their swords and string their bows to kill the poor and the oppressed, to slaughter those who do right. But their swords will stab their own hearts and their bows will be broken. You see, that's David's answer. Whoops, we've got another one. Oh, sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out when I... It is better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich, for the strength of the wicked will be shattered. But the Lord takes care of the godly. David might have been answering Asaph, but he might have also been talking to his younger self. When I was young, I didn't get this, but now I do. And I'm going to write it in Psalm 37. So Jeremy gets it too. Now, I said before I read that, David didn't really understand something important that we understand. See if you can work out what it is. Can you? Is that your experience? What David wrote about? Is it? Okay. David believed that everything would be put right in his lifetime, his own lifetime. And it largely was for him. 
He did see his enemies collapse. He did see himself installed in his rightful place. But we know that this life isn't the main event. To David, well, he knew something about the resurrection. It was a vague hope for the future. But we live and breathe the resurrection. Jesus made it clear by his resurrection and to us, the resurrection is something so close and it's in our thoughts all the time. We don't give up hope if things don't seem to come right in this lifetime because we know they will in God's time. And the Bible clearly teaches that things won't all come right until Jesus returns. Let's be honest. Life's not fair. We fight for what's right. We stick up for the poor and oppressed. We help the needy. We speak up for the disabled and the weak, especially the old and the unborn. We work to protect and restore the environment, but we know we won't see everything become perfect in this world, in this time, because there's a big reset coming. You know well Jesus' words in Matthew 19 uh, and 30. It says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Once again, I'm going to turn to the New Living Translation today. I seem to be liking it, don't I? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Do you see that? One day I got home and Janet was having a big heart-to-heart out in the sunshine with a neighbor called Gaynor. And I sort of walked in, whoops, girl stuff. But Gaynor said to me, Jeremy, yes, are people mean to you? I thought for a while. Yes. I said, yes, they are. She says, does it worry you? I had to think about that too. No, it doesn't worry me. She said, why doesn't it worry you? Why doesn't it worry you? I thought for a minute. I said, Because I'm only visiting the planet. That's why. You see? Gaynor, perhaps like David, didn't realize that this life is just a bit of it. It is, isn't it? There's a line in the film, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Did you see it? Do you know what line I'm going to put up? You do, don't you? Here it is. Doing. Oops, there it is. Everything will be all right in the end. If it's not all right, then it's not the end. And uh, there we are. This strangely, amazingly, this from John Lennon, who is expressing a great Bible truth, which, by the way, was actually a quote from John Lennon. <laughs> I found that out. So I'd love to say that if you follow God's way, everything will come right. And in many ways, very often it does. I have seen transformation, I have seen restoration, and I seek God's kingdom. But there's a tension, there's a frustration. And there's a longing for the time when everything is put right and God's kingdom comes in all its fullness. That's why we're always thinking and talking about Jesus coming again. Thanks for listening to the Huntley